Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. company and other factors. The following program is Follow the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Someone has said, money talks. In fact, someone else said, money talks, and it usually says goodbye. Okay, we can all identify with that. But money does talk. How you spend your money, how you make your money, what value you put on your money, it all speaks. It all says something about you and me. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. On the subject of money, most of us were taught not to talk about how much we make, how much we spend, or how much we give. But Philip tells us that while we're reluctant to talk about money, our money talks about us. We'll also learn that money matters to God, and Jesus often spoke about money. And the Apostle Paul followed up the discussion in 2 Corinthians. So don't go anywhere. Let's join Philip for this concluding message on sacrificial giving. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. If you can remember, we were in a three-part sermon on happy to give. It's as part of our series, Total Grace. One of the things that grace will produce in your life and my life is a spirit of generosity. So, happy to give. That's where we're at. And so we want to kind of pick up where we left off as we look at the grace of giving. Grace giving is charitable charitable. It's motivated by love. It's driven by a compassion and a desire to be a blessing to other people. It ought to be marked and motivated by love. Now, you and I know instinctively that love needs to move from words to action. John's very clear about the fact that you can't say you love a brother and then hate him in your behavior. Don't say to someone, be warmed and be filled. Take them down to Target and buy them a coat. Put your words into actions. But you and I know that right actions must be followed or underwritten by right attitudes. Because we want to move from words to action. But the danger is we can do the right thing the wrong way. So we want to move to action. That's good. But there's one step more. You've got to make sure that you're being motivated properly to do what you're doing. Motive's important. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians, I want to prove the sincerity of your love. I want you to make sure you're doing this for the right motive. There's a great story regarding Billy and Ruth Graham in the early days of their ministry and marriage. Billy was preaching in a little country church, and he was sitting on the platform. And to his surprise, one of the deacons during the offering came up and basically in front of everybody stuck the offering plate right under his nose. So he reached for his wallet, and he pulled out what he thought was a $1 bill. 
because that's what he intended to give. But as he put that note on the plate, he saw it being carried off into the coffers of the church. He realized he had just given away his one and only $10 bill, and there was no getting it back. And then to kind of rub salt into the wound, it seems like the church treasurer had forgot to give him his honorarium also. So on the ride home, he wasn't in a particularly good mood and thinking that his wife might be consoling him. Ruth did nothing in terms of sympathizing. She said this, Billy, and just to think the Lord will only give you credit for one (laughs) dollar. You get the point? He put 10 in, but he only meant to put one in so you get credit for what you were intended to do. Motive. It's a good point, Ruth. She didn't spur her husband that night. Grace giving is commendable. What I mean by that, it's interesting. Again, we're hop skipping and jumping across this passage. One of the little words that appears here and there is the word boasting. Paul boasted to the Macedonians about the Corinthians. Let me show you this. Did you notice at the end of chapter 8, verse 24, therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf? We've told others about you guys. Now, earlier on in chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, he has boasted about the Macedonians. And he's used their generosity in the midst of their poverty to just light a fire under the Corinthians. But now we're learning that when he was in northern Greece collecting the money from the Macedonians, he did say, do you know that the churches in the south have pledged to give generously to this also? So he boasted about Corinth while he was in Macedonia. I think in not so subtle a manner, Paul is kind of embarrassing them into action. Embarrassing them into action. And the implication seems to be, and I think geography and social economic standing tells us, the northern churches of Greece, like Philippi and Colossae, they were poorer than the southern churches of Greece, like Corinth. By the way, do we not feel embarrassed in the West at the giving of the churches in the East? And our poor brothers across the world who led on the line for Jesus Christ, but we sit in our air-conditioned sanctuaries in Britain and in America, and you know what? We're nowhere near as generous and as sacrificial as our brothers, comparatively speaking. That's embarrassing. But you know what? Embarrassment can be a good motive. In fact, I think Paul is adding, and this is going to sound wrong until you think it out, he's adding a little bit of friendly competition into the mix. Now, I'm a pretty competitive guy. I like competitive sports. That's what gets my juices going. I don't like to run by myself. I don't like to play by myself. I like to get challenged, you know? Kick me, and I'll kick you back. You know, score against me, and I'll try and score against you. It's just part of nature. It's a bad thing when it becomes base human pride, but it's a good thing when it's harnessed. Wasn't it Walt Disney who said, I have been up against tough competition all my life, and I wouldn't know how to get along without it? Baker Mayfield, who played for the Oklahoma Sooners and now a quarterback for the Browns, he said this, anytime you get a better competition level, it's always better for you because you want to get the best out of yourself and you want to compete against the best. Conor McGregor said this, I enjoy competition. I enjoy challenges. If a challenge is in front of me and it appeals to me, I want to go ahead and conquer it. So harnessed, a little bit of competition's good. It pushes us. It urges us. And that's exactly what's being done here. 
don't embarrass us. Look what the Macedonians have done. And they're poor. You guys better step up to the plate. And you know what? Do your own study and you'll find out for yourself we should be embarrassed in the West at the luxury in which we live, the standard of living we enjoy, and yet how little the Lord's work is supported. The average Protestant evangelical only gives 2 to 3% of their income to the Lord's work. That's embarrassing. That's sinful. But let's move on as you want me to move on. Here's a third thought. We're back now to our main outline. For a few minutes, we'll get two thoughts in here. What I call the multiplication of grace giving. We've looked at the motives We've looked at the manner. Now we're looking at what I call the multiplication of grace giving. And this has us in chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. Paul says this, But I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the grace of God will abound toward us in all things. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Notice verse 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Interesting point, ladies and gentlemen. Paul has talked about giving, but here he talks about getting by giving. Yes, that's what I said. Paul talks about getting through giving. Now, he takes the picture of a harvest, and he talks about the laws of the harvest. He puts us into the farmer's field. We're now in the open air. We're out in the world of agriculture. And everybody knows there's several laws of the harvest, and one of the laws is what? If you sow little, you'll reap little. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. That's just one of the laws of the harvest. And Paul says that's true spiritually. I think he's inferring, you know what? If you give generously to God's work here and help here, you'll find that God will indeed bless you, that this thing will boomerang in your direction because we reap in direct proportion to what we sow. And you know, that's just a principle you'll find throughout God's Word. I'll give you a couple other verses that will kind of reinforce this. In Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 to 25, we read, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich. He who waters will also be watered himself. The people will curse him who withholds grain, and blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. Challenging it's a wisdom principle. If you look out in life, generally speaking, you'll find that the most generous people are the most blessed people. God is no man's debtor. You can't outgive God. You act in obedience. You do what you ought to do with the right motive, and God will bless you. You've got a similar thought, don't you, by the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Well-known words, but they kind of help us with our thought. Give, and it shall be given to you. Let me say that again. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. In Galatians 6, what a man sows, that shall he reap. That's a biblical principle. Sow little, reap little. Sow much, reap much. 
So the point Paul's making this, when a believer desires to produce the greatest possible blessing in another at a cost to himself, that often boomerangs to their blessing. That's what's being taught here in the verses before us. As one gives to bless others, one is blessed themselves. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 and Proverbs 28, 27. In fact, you see it, don't you, in Paul's letter to the Philippians where he acknowledges the gift that they gave and the generosity with which they gave and how they'd given not only once but many times. And as he finishes that note of thanks, he says what? And my God shall supply all your need. Thank you for meeting my need. You've sown into my life. I believe you'll reap. And God will bless you. That's one of the paradoxes of the Christian life, isn't it? The way up is down. The last shall be first. Standing still moves you forward. Losing your life saves it. If you want to be a slave to Jesus Christ, you'll be free. If you're weak, you'll be strong. If you give more, you'll get more. Now, let me just qualify that. The blessings that are given to us, whatever that increase might be, whatever that blessing might be that boomerangs back to us, grace, love, material things, it is not to feather our own nests. That's the main point. This is where we part company with the health and wealth preachers. It's not to feather our own nests. It's not so that you can trade in your Honda Civic for a BMW. It's so that you can give more to those who have less and you can abound in good works. Notice verse 8 of chapter 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. So God's going to bless you for what reason? To what end? So you can be abundant in every good work. The more you have, the more you're able to give to those who don't have. Because having food and clothing, your needs are being met. Take the rest and bless other people with it. Look at verse 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Similar language. The fruit of God's blessing in your life is not bigger houses, faster cars, smarter clothes. No, it's abundance of good works. It's fruit of righteousness. Look at verse 11. While you have been rich in everything for all liberality, why has God enriched you? So you can be more liberal and generous in what you give. So the Christian's personal wealth is never to be viewed as an end in itself, but a means to an end. God doesn't bless us to make us more comfortable. God blesses us to make us more useful. That's the point. Here's what Psalm Storm says. God's promise is that he will never stir your heart to give and then fail to supply you the resources to do it. But the idea that we should give so that God will enrich us personally with a view to increase our comfort and convenience and purchasing power is foreign to Paul's teaching. Personal wealth is here viewed not as an end in itself, but as a means to yet a higher goal, continued generosity to those in need. One thing that will undermine the outworking of this principle is the lie that a $100,000 salary leads to a $100,000 lifestyle. That's what's wrong with the church in the West. Our $100,000 salaries lead to $100,000 lifestyles. But that ought not to be. God doesn't bless us 
for faster cars, bigger houses, smarter clothes. He blesses us so we can be a blessing to those who don't enjoy that blessing. John Piper, God has made us to be conduits of his grace, not cul-de-sacs. The danger is in thinking that the conduit should be lined with gold. It shouldn't. Copper will do. You know what he's saying there? You've got to decide as a Christian for a certain lifestyle, and then everything else you use for God's blessing and the advancement of his kingdom. It's not what John Wesley did. In his early ministry, he got 30 pounds a month, or was it a year? I can't remember, but he decided he could live on 28 and he could give away two. But when he got 60 pounds, 90 pounds, and 120 pounds, he still lived on 28 pounds and gave the rest away. It's copper, not gold. All right, let's get to our last thought. What I call the message of grace giving. Very quick and simple thought. The message of grace giving. John Stott helped me with this. I'm not sure I'd have seen this myself. But in verse 13, Paul says something interesting about their gift. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them. So Paul anticipates eventually this gift gets to Jerusalem and they bless God because of the blessing from Corinth. But I want you to notice how he describes their gift. It's a confession of the gospel of Jesus. That's interesting. Someone has said, money talks. In fact, someone else said, money talks, and it usually says goodbye. Okay, we can all identify with that. But money does talk. How you spend your money, how you make your money, what value you put on your money, it all speaks. It all says something about you and me. Money speaks. And the money that they sent to Jerusalem spoke, communicated. There was a message in their grace giving. Paul would agree with that idea of money speaks because he says that their money confessed the gospel. In what way? Confessed or spoke or communicated the gospel. Well, I would make an argument as some do. Remember, one of Paul's motives is the Greek churches helping the Jewish churches would bind the church together because in the gospel there's neither Jew nor Gentile. This is the early church, and you know what? Those two rivers are now becoming one river, and Paul wants to help that happen. And their gift is communicating what? Confessing what? They believe in the unity of the church through the gospel. Neither male nor female, neither Gentile nor Jew, neither free nor slave. They were giving a message in their giving. Your giving sends a message. My giving sends a message. If I give to missions, I'm sending this message. There's only one name under heaven given among men whereby they must be saved. People need to hear the gospel or they're going to perish. That's what I communicate when I give to missions. I communicate Jesus as the only Savior, the gospel as the only answer, and hell as a reality apart from the gospel. If you and I give to the poor, to the destitute, to the famine-stricken. I'll tell you another thing we're communicating. We're communicating that in the most destitute person, we find the image of God stamped. And that person's worthy of our love. You're acknowledging that we need to raise up a generation who realize that wisdom begins in the fear of God. Not in a textbook, but in the book, the Bible. Give the Christian media like Know the Truth. You're communicating your commitment to the Great Commission and the power of preaching. Give money to the local church and you're committing to the importance of pastors doing their work free of the burdens of everyday life. 
You're communicating your belief that the church is the vehicle by which people are discipled and matured in their faith. Money talks. In fact, there was a biography written recently on the Duke of Wellington, not a hero among most Americans, but having grown up in Britain, he was somebody we learned about in school. 1815, he beats Napoleon, very famous British general. In a recent biography, the writer touted the fact that his biography maybe give us insights that former biographies didn't have because in recent years they discovered a ledger, a kind of checkbook ledger of how the Duke of Wellington spent his money. And as he looked over that ledger, he felt he got insights into this man that others had missed because he believed that money talks and that the ledger spoke about the Duke of Wellington. Money does talk. Our checkbooks say a lot about us. In fact, most of us don't even have checkbooks. I'm the one holdout in the church office that still gets a check, and I'm still holding out. I don't know about you. You can do it electronically if you like. I like the pain of writing those checks. Every month for the mortgage, for the electric bills, the gas bills, just physically having to write it in and subtract, watch my wealth diminish. It just reminds you a little bit more than clicking a button. I just like the process. And I've got boxes of checkbooks. And you know what? I think someday if you got to read them, you'd get a little bit of an idea of what I like, what I don't like, and what I'm committed to and what I'm not committed to. Because checkbooks tell a person's story. Because money speaks. And what we do with our money speaks about what we're committed to. And they give. And they communicated a confession of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our study of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So much to learn, so much to gauge, so much to glean. Help us to realize that we cannot serve you and serve money at the same time. Pray that money would be a servant in our life, not a master. We thank you that you've blessed us in everything and you've given us all things to enjoy. But help us to know what copper is and what gold is. Help us to know that level of living that should be enough so that our giving can increase and our sacrifice for the sake of the gospel can advance. Lord, help us to check our motives. We pray you keep our church from financial scandal, our pastors, our budget. We pray indeed we would do honorable things in the sight of God and all men. May we glorify him richly and thank him generously. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. We're learning to honor God with all we are, all we have here on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's message is just one part of the Total Grace series. Philip will be wrapping up the series next week, but you can listen to previous messages online at ktt.org or order all the messages in the series on CD when you call 888-644-8811. And if you're new to Know the Truth, on behalf of Pastor Philip, let me say welcome. It's Philip DeCourcy's mission to provide bold and convicting Bible teaching that aligns your life with God's heart. And that's not all. To help you in your walk of faith, Philip would like to send you one of his most popular and practical messages. It's called Handling the Pressure, and it's yours for the asking when you call 888-644-8811. Learn how to have less stress by trusting God more. At Know the Truth, we're always looking for ways to provide you with resources to strengthen your walk of faith. 
And we didn't have to look far this month since Philip has just released his newest book titled, Help, I'm Anxious. This is a thoroughly practical guide for calming your fears by claiming peace in Christ. Philip includes plenty of scripture to anchor you in God's truth, and the book is yours when you give a generous gift of $25 or more. So give online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. You can also send your gift to us by mail. Just write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. It's your generosity that makes this ministry possible. So give today and don't forget to ask for Philip's new book, Help, I'm Anxious. We'll send it to you when your gift is $25 or more. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. So glad you joined us today. There's more bold Bible teaching coming up next time when Philip continues to look at the many dimensions of God's total grace. That's Monday on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Question, do you have a health insurance plan you are not happy with? Well, Bethany and Jason thought they were stuck. Their plan just kept getting more expensive, and Bethany's favorite doctor didn't even take that plan anymore. And then some friends at church told them about MediShare. With our previous insurance, we were paying $1,200 a month. With MediShare, we now pay around $600 a month. Yes, they're paying $600 less per month, and that's a pretty typical savings with MediShare. And they actually like MediShare more. I was able to go back to my original doctor that I absolutely loved, and it's just been an absolutely beautiful thing being a part of MediShare. Yeah, so they pay a lot less, and they like it more. No wonder MediShare is growing so fast. Find out more. They're super easy to talk to. All you have to do is call 844-41-BIBLE. That's 844-41-B-I-B-L-E. 844-41-BIBLE. Hey, folks, I'm Dave.